Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Luke, I serve on the leadership team here at Renewal Church of Chicago, and uh, it is my privilege to be here with you today. I, um, we're starting a new series today. Uh, we, hit, we do this every fall, at least every fall that I can remember, Pastor D, where we do a vision mission series. We're just pause our teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get back to it, but for the next few weeks, leading up to our fifth anniversary. Come on now. What did I say? Come on, our fifth anniversary. This is amazing. We're leading up to our fifth, our fifth anniversary. I love your laughs and smiles. It just gives me joy. Uh, we're leading up to our fifth anniversary. And as we get there, we're going to pause Sermon on the Mount and we're going to talk a little bit about vision and mission, what that means for our church, where we've been and where we're going. And by implication, if we're talking about our church's mission, we are talking about your mission. Because the church is made up of us. And I think that there's no better way to get started on a, on, a, on a subject like this than to just look at the Bible and look at an example of people living with vision and mission, people on mission. Does that sound good? So we're going to look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, open it up, uh, put a bookmark there. We're going to be in this thing the whole morning. Um, just so, so keep it open. If you've got an app, keep it open. You can also look up on the screen, Luke chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 10. And um, when you got it, say got it. All right. Some of us at least. And I'll read it. Let's stand. If you're able, stand as I, as I read. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord, this is Jesus, Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. When you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is God's word. You guys may be seated. So here we have Jesus. Uh, this is a famous passage. He's got these followers. Actually, earlier, he sent out just the 12 on, on mission. And here we see he looks out at his followers, and he sees that they're following him, and he sends out a host more. He sends out 72 more to live and act on mission, right? To, he sends them out on purpose. And when we look at this today, I, I think that something is going on here. People are... are are out on mission, and it's interesting to me that if we kind of scan the rhetoric of our age, our present age, 
how much of it aligns with this idea of living on purpose and on mission. Do you know what I mean? So if you read blog posts, if you listen to podcasts, if you read business books, if you read advice columns, so much of it is about finding your mission. Living, your, your, a life well lived, something on purpose, a life of meaning, a life of resonance, a life that makes a difference, right? Isn't this true? So much of it is about that, and it is remarkable to me that this is still the rhetoric of our age, and we go backwards 2,000 years into a different culture, different time, different place, different language, and they're talking about living on mission. There must be something here, therefore, that is innate in us to want a life well lived, to want, a life, to want something beyond the status quo. There must be something here that is given to us that we want something more, a real mission that makes real difference in the real world, right? I think that nothing summarizes this idea, this rhetoric of living on mission, finding your mission, nothing summarizes it better, perhaps, than the commencement address, right? You guys have been to graduations, you've heard the commencement address, overwhelmingly, they are about finding and living your mission, right? They're about releasing people, for world impact, if you will, right? The commencement address, I, I uh, Googled just uh, takeaways from last year's commencement addresses, and remarkably, there are numerous articles about commencement addresses from last year. This, is one, this one is from Forbes, and they just cite all these different commencement addresses and kind of like key quotes and takeaways. I found four of them, I wanna read some of them to you. Here's one quote from a commencement address, a famous university from a famous person. This is what they said. When you're scared, that is the moment when you have to become as great as your greatest inspiration. In other words, picture someone you admire and something, someone who has accomplished something great. And when you're scared, your job is to be like them, only better. Here's another quote. Listen to your inner voice. Because if enough of you listen to that voice, then enough of you can prove that this generation isn't going to make the same mistakes as the one before. Dig deep. Dream big. Never give up, right? Find your mission. Here's another quote. Be the young people with the courage to say, this is our world now, and there are going to be some changes. You know the graduation class loved that, right? We're stirred up. We're going to change the world. Mission is about change. By definition, something needs to change. We're on mission. Here's a final one from somebody else. The number one lesson that I could offer you where your work is concerned is this. Become so skilled, so vigilant, so flat out fantastic at what you do that your talent cannot be dismissed. The commencement address. I think that this does something very, very helpful for us. It summarizes the rhetoric of our age, and frankly, the rhetoric of our age about living on mission is getting something really right. It's, it's acknowledging that there is this innate drive, there is this something that we want to be part of something great, something grand, something difference-making, right? It identifies, in other words, our need very well. But I think it identifies the solution very poorly. It says, if you want a difference-making life, just try harder. Just be more talented than everyone else. Just picture the most ideal example that you can think of and be like that only better. Right? It says, it, it identifies this innate desire, this need, this, this, this something that is inside of our hearts that wants to be part of something great, a mission, a life of purpose, a life of meaning. But it doesn't give us the means, the solution to actually do it. 
You know, uh, um, rhetoric like dream big dreams and, and uh, be your own cheerleader, man, they make for great cat posters. <laughs> but they do so little for you in the nitty gritty of life. Isn't that true? Haven't you read enough self-help stuff and tried and failed enough times to know there's got to be some other way to live on mission than just to try harder? It's interesting. I didn't do this on purpose. After I selected these quotes, I went back and I thought, that's crazy. Two of those four from these commencement addresses are from Chicagoans. There's something about our city that says, we're going to make it happen. Against all odds, we're going to make it happen. The city of broad shoulders, that's Chicago. Two of the four quotes by accident are from Chicagoans. We want something bigger. And I want to say to us today that this passage, let's draw out principles about a real life of real mission, something that's not so one-dimensional as try harder and say, can we actually live a life of meaning? Does that sound good? We're going to look at three things. Three things. We've got... A life, a real life of real mission means a life of power and of weakness, right? So we got a life of power and of weakness. Number two, a real life of real mission means a life of joy and of adversity. Power and weakness, joy and adversity. And third, and most important, a life of real mission. A real life of real mission that makes real difference in the real world is one that is inextricably connected to Jesus. Don't miss that inextricably connected to Jesus. First, a life of mission is a life of power and a life of weakness. You know, it's interesting, if you talk to, if you talk to anybody who, who is good at rallying the troops about mission, they say, begin with the end in mind, right? So let's begin with the end in mind. Jesus sent out these 72, so what? What happened? Were they successful? Let's jump down to verse 17 and find out. So verse 17 The 72, they were out on mission. Then they return. They returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They return with joy saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In other words, they were not only successful, their efficacy exceeded their own expectations. They're they're wonderstruck. They they run to Jesus. It reminds me of a child running to an aunt or an uncle or a parent. Have you had this happen to a young child? And they're like, did you see that? Did you see me? Did you see that running, that jumping, that playing, that skipping, that making the goal, that hitting the ball? Did you see the picture that I colored? And they just can't believe how awesome it is, right? These are the followers of Jesus. They go out on mission. They return to him and they say, did you see that? Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, uh, let me just as a sidebar, I, I know there's somebody in this room, maybe more than one of us, who thinks, okay, wait a second, am I the only one, you're kind of looking around, who thinks the demon talk is a little crazy, right? Am I the, or is everybody crazy in this room except for me? Let me just say, if that's you, that's okay. If that's you, just remember this. I, I ask you just for the next 30 minutes, suspend your disbelief, and here's why. If you think that the spiritual realm is beyond the pale of thinking about, then just know that you are in the radical minority of people throughout the ages and here in the world today. The vast majority of people acknowledge the spiritual realm. And so that's what's happening here. Something happened with these 72 that went out from Jesus. Something so significant, so radical, that they run back to him and the first thing that they say is, even demons are subject to us in your name. 
Even demons are subject to us in your name. In other words, Jesus sent them on mission in their actions in the material world through their, through their speech that goes out as sound waves. Somehow, these material actions resonate into the spiritual realm. That's amazing. And they rightly go back with joy and with wonder and say, did you see that? Right? What power, in other words, is a real life of real mission? So much power that it, that it, that it transcends the merely material. This is what Jesus' 72 sent out ones experienced. Real power. Real power. And yet, at the same time, a mission is one of weakness. And here's what I mean by that. We, we went to the end, verse 17. Let's go back to verse three. What does Jesus say? One of his very first exhortations to this group. It's not even an exhortation, really. It's just an observation. What does he say? Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Can I just ask, who rallies the troops with this phrase? Right? This is, you're sending them out. This is the first thing you're telling them. And, and he says, you're like lambs among wolves. And if you, if you picture a, a, a space with lambs and wolves in the same space, inhabiting the same space, who has the upper hand? Who is in danger? Who has the power? And who is weak? Right? The, the answer is obvious. Sometimes Jesus gives us these illustrations that we really got to step back and chew on and think about to understand. This is not one of those. It is so blatant. Wolves eat lambs. And so Jesus is saying to his sent out ones as he sends them out. Listen, you're too weak for the job. This is remarkable. This this is not a phrase in any commencement address. This is not in any advice column. This is not in the business book. This is not on the podcast. Do you see, Jesus is the only one who does this. He, he, He speaks so candidly, so insightfully, he knows better than you know your own deficiencies and limitations. And he tells you, you are not enough for the task at hand. Amazing. And at the same time, Jesus is not jaded. He is never cynical. Did you catch that? There is nobody with a loftier vision than Jesus. A a higher mission of more radical world change than Jesus. He's the only one that speaks like this. He doesn't give up in cynicism about the mission and he doesn't pretend about the limitations of his sent out ones. He gives both, like lambs among wolves. Now, we have to understand, I hope, I hope that we understand that these things are not in conflict actually. You know, on the surface it's like, well how can this be? How can the life, a real life of real mission be one of power and of weakness? Actually, what is going on here is that the weakness is the vehicle, it is actually the mechanism by which Jesus' power is displayed. You see, the weakness uh, of the people is the actual mechanism by which Jesus' power is put on display. You know, one of the apostles put it this way, it's like treasures in jars of clay. It's even more remarkable it's even more noticeable. You break through all the white noise. We could go out today in, in this vast city and find numerous people giving numerous talks or speeches or something about one of their success stories and how you can have it too. You want to break through the white noise, tell me about an ordinary person that does extraordinary things. That's what Jesus is doing. 
He says, it's the weakness that puts on display the real power. You know, another preacher put it this way, if dependence is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. If dependence is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. You know, the people who go out from Jesus are putting on display their radical dependence on him. And if dependence is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. If you've got it all together, if you've got it all figured out, if you're hitting all of your successes, if you're checking all the boxes, if you've got all the right right relationships, it's gonna be awfully hard to put Jesus on display. If dependence is the goal, weakness is the advantage. Jesus, they return to Jesus, awash with wonder and excitement at the efficacy, the power of their mission. And Jesus turns to them, what does he say? They say, uh, uh, they, they say even the demons are subject to us in your name. In verse 17, what does Jesus say in verse 18? And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What? Right? Do you think that? Do you read that? And you're like, huh? <laughs> Did you just hear what they said? But this makes sense. Consider for a moment. Consider for a moment, what if Jesus actually is who he claims to be? What if he actually is the creator of everything spiritual and everything material in the whole universe? What if he actually is God the Son? This makes total sense. They return to Jesus. They say, did you see that? And he says, of course I did. And I perceived it in ways that you can't even imagine. I see behind the curtain. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I can see and perceive and understand the spiritual realms, what's happening beyond our material world far better than you can. I celebrate with you. He's the parent. He's the aunt, he's the uncle. When a kid returns and says, did you see that? And they say, yes, and I understand it even better than you do. This power, this power is found only in their weakness of real life, of real mission. A real life of real mission that makes a real difference is one of power, and it's one of weakness. Jesus goes on, verse 19, he says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. What radical (laughs) language here. When Jesus says nothing shall hurt you, he does not mean you will never get hurt. He means the end of the story for somebody who follows him never ends in in hurt or harm. When he says all authority has been given to you, has been given to me and I give it to you, he's echoing what he will say at the end after he dies and resurrects and ascends, right before he ascends to heaven, he says to his people, his followers, his sent out ones, all authority is mine and I share it with you. Listen, this is the whole story of Jesus. He gives us what's his and takes what should have been ours. He, he, he takes on the, the death that should have been ours and gives us the life that is his. He extends to us the authority that belongs to him, his sent out ones. It's, this is remarkable. A life, in other words, my friends, lived on mission is one of power and of weakness. Second, a life lived on mission is one of joy and of adversity. Those who sent out ones returned with joy, we already saw. You know, it made me think of a friend of mine named Jody. She volunteers in a church in California. She was sitting with a group of ministry leaders. I was one of those, and she was just sharing stories. I mean, the old word is she was just giving testimony about what thing, things had happened in her church. And, and I found myself so moved, so stirred up in my heart, again, fresh, new, 
by, by some of the stories she was sharing. I just, I emailed and asked, can you send me some of the things that you shared? And she did, because I want to share them with you. Um, this is a quote from Jody. She said, quote, I've watched the suicidal, the mentally ill, the millionaire porn king, the stripper, the adulterer, the terminally ill, the homeless, those with special needs, victims of rape, hell's angels, kids with two moms, people counting days clean, and over and over, it is like God is saying to me, you think you've seen it all? We're just getting started. It's powerful. You know what Jody is doing here? She's doing the same thing the 72 did. They were sent out and they came back and regaled Jesus with the stories. She is sent out and she comes back to her community and to her church and she shares the stories of power, of joy. And the joy, you could see it on, on her face as she shared. Just awash with joy. Yet, consider some of the things that she mentioned just here in this paragraph that I read, right? Homelessness, addiction, abuse, identity crisis, illness, prison. Do you think for a minute, my friends, that she never experienced adversity in any of these stories? Of course she did. These tri the, the trials in adversity, the, the, the greater the adversity, the greater the joy, right? These, this, these things that seem like they are impossible to overcome. And that's why she shares the stories of joy. Jesus was keenly aware that his people would experience not just joy, but also adversity. So when he sent them out, we already looked at, he, he said, I send you out as lambs among wolves. We already saw that. If we jump down into verses 10, uh, 9, 10, 11, Jesus anticipates proactively and tells them, some people are going to receive your message and your work, and some people are going to reject you outright. He lets them know adversity is coming. A real life of real mission is one of joy and one of adversity, of trials, of difficulty. Verse, verse nine, let me just read it again. You know, he says, if, if a town receives you, verse nine, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that what the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, Jesus is closer than you can imagine. That's what the kingdom of God is near. He's here. He has made a way for you. He has, he has prepared the way. He extends to you. The kingdom of God is near. It's closer than you think. This is the message. I, I love this. There's so much here, my friends. When, when Jesus sends out the 72, did you notice? Everywhere they go, they've got two jobs, word and deed. They speak and they act. When they go into a town that receives them, they they are aware of the physical needs and they attend to them. They heal the sick, right? And they speak the truth. The kingdom of heaven is near to you. Jesus is closer than you think. He can be yours. This is the good news. And when they enter a town that rejects them, there's also word and deed, but the deed changes. They say, the, the, the deed changes in such a way where they say, see you later. You're not accepting us, right? They, they wipe the dust off their feet. This is a strange kind of analogy for us. I don't know any of us who have, set, who have left someplace um, where we've been rejected and we're like, I wipe off the dust of my feet and I leave you alone, right? We don't say it that way. If, if you fast forward a thousand years and read some of the expressions that we use today, they will sound just as weird in a thousand years, right? The point is this. 
The deed changes, but listen, the message stays exactly the same. Did you notice? What do they say to the people who reject them? The kingdom of heaven is near. This is what that means. This message about who Jesus is, about what he has done, about how he is closer than you can imagine. This message is for everyone. But another way, accept it or reject it, it's what you need. Accept it or reject it, this message is what you need. The kingdom of heaven is near to you. This is so hopeful. It gives such security, doesn't it, to the sent out ones. They don't need to be overly clever. They don't need to do Bible gymnastics to try to make a passage more palatable for their modern audience. They just share that Jesus is near. They share who he is. They share what he's done in their own lives. And if they reject it, they move on. Pastor D mentioned this last week. We cannot cram this message down anybody's throat. We still share it. What security, what hope, what joy, what frankly, what adversity are experienced by those who live truly on mission. So first, a life, a real life of real mission is one of power and of weakness. Second, a real life of real mission is one of joy and of adversity. And finally, this is most important, a real life of real mission is one that is inextricably connected to Jesus. There's lots of reasons why. (laughs) One of them is if you want a real mission, if you want a mission that, that, that transcends whatever your circumstances are, then you've got to look to the author, the original maker of mission. The original mission, I don't mean that hyperbolically, I mean it literally, the original mission is God reconciling his people to himself. If you want a mission that transcends things so fragile, so so tepid, so weak, so unpredictable as family and friends and career and upward mobility, if you want a mission that transcends all of those things, you need the mission of Jesus. This is inextricably connected to who Jesus is. You know, one of the things that, not one of the, we say this all the time at Renewal. We are a, a church with a three-part vision, renew, rebuild, release, right? This, this whole message that we're hearing in Luke 10 is about being released. If you want to be released, you've got to be renewed. You have to know Jesus. It's, it's his mission. It's not yours. You know, renew, when we say that, this is all about changed hearts. This is like something happening to you. Your heart is changed. When we say uh, rebuilt, it's all about changed lives. When we say released, we mean changed world. And if you want the real mission, if that sounds appealing to you, if, if some of this is sparking something in your mind or in your heart, first, you must know Jesus. It's his mission. Let's look at verses one and two. We've almost gone backwards through the text kind of accidentally. We started at the end, went to the middle, now we're at the beginning. Verses one and two. I'm gonna read it again, but this time I want you to pay attention to the pronouns. Does that sound boring? Do it anyway, okay? Pay attention to the pronouns. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We got two verses, my friends, and seven references to Jesus. This mission is inextricably connected to him. It's his. This is his mission with his followers going out into his world and his harvest. He's so explicit. The Bible is so explicit in telling us what this is all about. It is all about Jesus. 
It is all about what he has done. It is all about what he has accomplished. Marriage and family are good things. But they, will, they, they are simply too ever-changing to be sufficient to give you a lifelong mission. Career, vocation, these are good things. But it is simply too fragile to give your life purpose. Moving up, becoming respected or known, fine, good, whatever. But it is simply will never have the power to infuse your life with meaning. All the rhetoric of our age, everything that we're after, all of these ideas, everything that you hear, live on mission, it's pointing to this, this this mission that transcends all of these temporary things. This is the kind of mission that can stay with you, that can thread through your life regardless of career, regardless of relationship. This is the kind of mission that always is with you. You gotta stop, my friends, me too. We've got to stop asking for transcendent answers from temporary things. We've got to look to Jesus. We've got to say, what is his mission? How can I be a part of it? This is a mission that goes with you when career change inevitably happens. This is a mission that remains just as relevant and applicable regardless of your upward mobility. Doesn't that sound good? This is a mission that is clear and stays with you that lasts regardless of if it's bad times or if it's good times. It's a mission that engages the real stuff of the material world and also resonates out into the spiritual realms. This is the kind of mission that I want to be a part of. This is the kind of mission that the 72 and so many others throughout the ages have been a part of. I want to leave you with this. You know, I mentioned Jody, a friend of mine, the stories that she t- shared. Uh, there's more from her. Um, it's just so powerful, <laughs> some of her stories. She is also a spoken word uh, artist, and so I'm going to read some of what she says. I'm not going to be able to deliver it the way that she does. But listen, Jody is just an ordinary person who discovered, who found her life's mission is with Jesus. Listen to her words. Remember she ended before with saying over and over, it's like God is saying, you think you've seen it all? We're just getting started? Then she continues, this is what he does. That Jesus, he met people like me, took notice of a blind man and made him see, saw a locked up kid and set him free, told little Zacchaeus to get out of the tree, felt it when a desperate woman touched his cloak, kneeled beside a dead girl and up she woke hung out with the down and out and broke, offered hope to the forgotten with just the words that he spoke, touched a man with leprosy who others would mock, touched the mouths of the mute and at once they could talk, forgave a woman at a well who was the laughing stock, came to be the shepherd of a wandering flock, in the company of sinners is where he would eat, defended an adulterer and made her accusers retreat, made followers out of men who were crooked cheats. Let the tears of of a prostitute, anoint his feet. My friends, isn't this the mission that your heart longs for? Isn't this something greater than, than, than mere sentimentalities? This is what you were built for. This is what you were made for. I don't know 
everybody's story here. I don't know if you're, if you're a lifelong Christian and this is stirring your heart again, I hope so. I don't know if, if you're not a Christian or if you haven't called yourself one in a really long time. Just ask yourself, imagine, what if I lived this mission? What difference would it make in my life? Did you hear Jody's words? She, she begins to experience what God is doing and like David and Moses and Hannah and Mary and so many saints that came before her, prose is not enough. She must break out in poetry. She's got to sing. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, this is your mission. We are your people. I ask that you would help us. Help us to be dependent on you. Help us to put you on display. Help us to remember, man, distractions come so easily, God. Fleeting, fragile things. Promise, make promises that they can never give us. Help us instead to find the mission that transcends all of that. Help us to receive you, renew our hearts, rebuild our lives, and release us in your name to change the world. I ask these things for your sake, O oh God. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.